listening to Radio Omniglot, and this is the Radio Omniglot podcast, episode 44. On the Radio Omniglot podcast, I talk about words and language and languages and linguistics and related matters. So in this episode, I will be talking about emoticons. In the previous episode last month, I was talking about punctuation, and emoticons are particular uses of punctuation, combining them together to make them look like little faces. So the word emoticon was first used, at least in writing, as far as we know, in 1994. And it's a combination of emotion and icon, and is defined as meaning a pictorial representation of a facial expression using punctuation and other keyboard characters. So the word emoticon has been around since 1994, but the idea of using punctuation marks and other symbols to represent faces or facial expressions has been around a lot longer than that. There were early sightings of possible emoticons in the wild since at least 1648, when the English poet Robert Herrick wrote a poem called To Fortune, which appears in a collection of poems called The Hesperides and Noble Numbers. And in that poem, he had the lines, Tumble me down, and I will sit upon my ruins, smiling yet. And after yet, there is a colon and a right parenthesis, which looks like a little smiley face. It's one of the emoticons which is used or was used, although these days they're not so commonly used as they tend to turn into emojis. And I'll be talking about emojis possibly in a future episode. But for now, we're talking about emoticons or their predecessors. Now we don't know if he meant this as a smiling face. Given its proximity to the word smiling, it's possible but in the editions of this work that I found online, only one, including that particular combination of punctuation marks. The others just had a semicolon after yet. So let's fast forward a few centuries to 1862, when on the 7th of August, the New York Times published a transcription of a speech by Abraham Lincoln, which includes the line applause and laughter, semicolon, right parenthesis, which is possibly a winky emoji, emoticon, I mean, although it's been debated whether that's what's intended or whether it was just a punctuation mark. And then in 1881, the satirical magazine Puck published a number of examples of what they called typographical art, which used punctuation marks to make faces to express joy, melancholy, indifference, and astonishment. I don't know if anybody actually used these in their writing or art, but they were in this magazine at that time. And then in 1912, the American writer and journalist Ambrose Bierce suggested using a kind of bracket or parenthesis, but rather than the normal one, which is vertical, this is a horizontal one, so it resembles a smile. And he thought it could be called a snigger point or note of cackination. And cackination means loud or convulsive laughter. Other writers also suggested ways that punctuation marks could be used to represent faces. 
including Alan Gregg, in an article in the Harvard Lampoon in 1936, in which he gave various examples of ways to combine parentheses and hyphens and other punctuation marks to represent smiles and winks and such like. And apparently, in the 1940s, sci-fi fans were using some kinds of emoticons, although I haven't been able to find any examples of these. If you know of any, and you'd like to share them, you can go to radio.omniglot.com. That is the home of this podcast. It is available on in other places, but that is the main home. And you can leave comments and find notes on this and other episodes there. And then in 1982, Scott Falman, Professor Emeritus at Carnegie Mellon's Language Technologies Institute and Computer Science Department, he sent a message on a, on a message board talking about um, two combinations of punctuation marks that he thought could be used to indicate whether something was a joke or not. And what he called the joke marker combines the colon, hyphen, and right parenthesis, and the non-joke marker, the colon, hyphen, and left parenthesis. And these were first used on the message boards at Carnegie Mellon University to distinguish serious posts from jokes. And Falman and other people suggested other ways to use punctuation marks to convey various ideas, various emotions, and such like. And in 1996, Nicholas Nufrani set up the Smiley Company, and he created hundreds of new emoticons to to um, convey all sorts of emotions and ideas and such like. And they combine punctuation marks, letters, and numerals in all sorts of ways. In other places, like Japan, there are different ways to use punctuation marks. In the emoticons that I'm familiar with, at least, they tend to be in the sideways faces. So you have to um, imagine turning them round to see them as a face, or think of them as someone lying down, perhaps. But in Japan, they use them to make kind of horizontal faces, I suppose you could say combinations of punctuation marks, letters from the Latin alphabet, and also Japanese characters, particularly um, katakana. These were used in various ways to create kawomoji, or face characters. And these emerged in the 1980s and were popular for a while. I don't know if they're still used. Meanwhile, in Korea, people were using combinations of punctuation marks and hangul letters, or jamo to create similar kinds of face-like emojis. And I'm sure there are other examples in other alphabets and other places. Now, I think I first became aware of these emoticons back in the 1990s, when I first started to get online. In 94, possibly? 95, I first went online, and I got my first mobile phone in 98 or 99. And um, at the time... All you could do with a phone was make phone calls and um, send and receive text messages. And some people, a lot of people in fact, used these emoticons in their text messages. I didn't use them much, I don't think, but sometimes they're quite fun. And they continue to be used until smartphones came along. So now people use emojis, because if you type an emoticon into your phone, say a colon plus a parenthesis, it would automatically turn it into a smiley face. 
at emoji and there are thousands of these things that I might well talk about them in a future episode of this podcast or write about them in a blog post or even make a page about them on Omniglot. In the meantime, um, what more can we say about emoticons? Are they still used? Do you use them? Uh, do you have any interesting ones you'd like to share? Remember, you can go to radio.omniglot.com. Now, as well as making this podcast, I also run omniglot.com, the online encyclopedia of languages and writing systems. And I add new material and improve stuff on it every day without fail. Well, almost. Occasionally, I won't add anything new on any particular day, but most days I'll add something or make significant improvements. So, in the past month or so, I've been adding quite a few new languages and some constructed alphabets or writing systems and adapted writing systems and some numbers pages. I've been writing blog posts on the Omniglot blog, that's blog.omniglot.com. And I've also been making a spin-off series called Adventures in Etymology. This is a short little podcast and video and blog post series um, that I've started making every Sunday. If you haven't seen it or heard it or watched it, then just go along to radio.omniglot.com and you can find all the episodes. Each one is about a minute or a minute and a half or so long. Originally, I just made them for Instagram and Facebook, but then I made YouTube videos and posted them on the Radio Omniglot site as well. And... um, also, I've been writing on the Celtiadia blog. Now, this is a blog where I explore connections between Celtic languages. Now, the six modern Celtic languages, that's Welsh, Cornish and Breton in the Brythonic branch, and Irish, Manx and Scottish Gaelic in the Gaelic or Gaelic branch. Now, there are lots of similarities within the two branches and also quite a few between the branches and that's what I explore on my Celtiadia blog and also look at the roots of the words look at their older forms in older forms of these languages Middle Welsh and Old Irish and Old Cornish and so on going right back to Proto-Celtic and some connections I find are interesting and and unexpected This week I actually wrote two posts, and normally I just do one a week, but this week I wrote two about related words. One about words for wild, and another about words for gale and Gaelic, which have the same root as the words for wild. The ones for Gaelic, which the Gaelic branch of the Celtic languages borrowed from the Brythonic branch, which is quite unusual. They originally meant something like a wild person of the woods, a raider or something like that. In Welsh, Gwythel, which became Goidel in Old Irish, which became Gael in Modern Irish. Gaelic is the name of Irish in Irish, or Gaelge, or Gaelin. There's various different versions in different dialects. And of course, this word has cognates in Scottish Gaelic and Manx, and in the other Celtic languages as well. So I thought that was interesting. You can find the Celtiadir at celtiadir.omniglot.com. That's C-E-L-T-I-A-D-U-R. It's a word I coined myself. So 
I think it's time for a little tune. This is The Whirlwind, a tune I wrote a few years ago, played by me on the harp. said all I have to say about emoticons. I hope you found this interesting and informative, and if you'd like to leave a comment or find notes and links to further information, just go along to radio.omniglot.com. You might like to share this podcast with your friends and anybody else you think might enjoy it, and um, if you're feeling very generous, You can find links to PayPal and Patreon where you can make one-off or regular donations to help support my work. And anything you can give is very much appreciated. That's all I have to say for now. Thank you for listening and goodbye.